Good morning. That was terrible. Let's try that again. Good morning. I know that you're glad you're here this morning. You know what? The older I get, the more I realize something about Christmas. It's this, is that it seems like for me that the more Christmases I celebrate, the more I feel like the world is inundating us with what Christmas is about, right? Like some people, you might watch some commercials. Now, how many of you like Hallmark movies? Come on. How many of you? And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let you know I made fun of them a couple weeks ago, the Hallmark movies. I watch them. I do because I I we know how they're gonna end. So I mean I'm never gonna be disappointed. And I love the stories of redemption and reconciliation. But if you watch enough Hallmark Christmas movies, here's the conclusion you come to: Christmas is about family, right? It's about being together. And then some people would say, you know, maybe things you've watched is that, that Christmas was really about, you know, being generous. It's about giving, and it's about going out of your way to, to love on people and to give toward people. And, and I just want to say this, none of those things are bad. And there's a lot of other things we out there that, you know, we talk about Christmas and what Christmas means and what Christmas is about. We could go on and on and on. But here's the one thing I want to say is all those things are fine. All those things are great. But the truth of the matter is this. Christmas is not about any of those things. It's not about family. It's not about giving. It's about a gift that was given. It's about the fact the light has come into the world. The light of God through the person, the work of Jesus, who is the light of the world, has come into a dark and a broken world. The true essence of Christmas is this. The light has come. That's what Christmas is about. And if you think about it, the coming of this light is scandalous. I mean, if you look at the stories we did last week, it's very scandalous. In fact, we talked about the scandalous beginnings of Jesus. And in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, you don't have to look at it right now, but in chapter 1, one thing I find out more and more I talk to people about reading the Gospel of Matthew or even Luke is that sometimes we skip the genealogy. We skip that, that long so-and-so was the father and so-and-so, there was the father and so-and-so, and we skip that. But what we found out last week is the genealogy is essential to the Christmas story. Because in the genealogy, Matthew reminded the Jewish people that he was writing to, he reminded them, over and over again, that Jesus is the promised king. That the king that they were waiting for is found in Jesus. That he is the new Adam. That he is, the word Jesus, the name Jesus itself, literally in the Greek, translates Jehovah is salvation. That even his name implies that he is the promised king. And when it says that he is the Christ, the Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah, that Jesus is the only way to be connected with God. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And so he was reminding this Jewish people, the one that we put on the cross and crucified, listen to this, he is the promised king. Jesus is the one we were waiting for. But he also reminded them of the grace of God. He reminded them in the genealogy, you can read it later, verses 2 through 16 of chapter 1. He reminds them of the history and the people that were in that history. Now, why would Matthew do that? He's reminding them that we have a history of seeing the grace of God. Because throughout history, here's the one thing we know about the Israelites. They were always consistent in one thing. You know what it was? Being unfaithful. They were always consistent with that. They always found themselves being unfaithful. And what Matthew reminded this Jewish people was this, is that throughout the history of our nation, while we have been faithless, God has always been what? Faithful, always. And he showed them the grace of God through this, God's faithfulness. He also showed them the grace of God last week through the fact that God included outsiders into his story. Outcasts. You know who I'm talking about, right? The four women that are mentioned in the genealogy, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth and Bathsheba. 
Now, all four women had spotty reputations, but more importantly, all four women were Gentiles. They weren't Jews, and yet they're listed in a Jewish lineage of the birth and the person of Christ. Now, why would God do that? It was Matthew was reminding them of the grace of God that he would include outsiders. Now, here's why last week was so important. You can go back and listen if you want to. But here's why last week is so crucially important for us. You ready? Here's number one. The reason it's important is because it reminds us that my connection with God is only found through Jesus. That what was lost in Adam when sin came into the world, I have now in Jesus. Now I can be connected to God through the person and the work of Christ. Another reason last week was so important is because it reminds me of this, that God used and still uses flawed people. Isn't that good news for you today? I don't know about you, but I'm pretty flawed. Anybody else flawed in the room? Okay, there's just the back row. I don't know which is the back row, but I mean, maybe that's why we're sitting back there, right? I mean, just, we're all flawed. I mean, here's the thing. When I look at the genealogy, I'm reminded that God is always using flawed, outcast people, which means I'm the perfect candidate which means you're the perfect candidate. I mean, if you looked at who Jesus chose as the disciples, did he choose anybody who was on the upper echelon of the Jewish faith? No. In fact, if you were a Jewish person and you weren't eventually becoming a rabbi, that means eventually you weren't the best of the best and you would go back and do your father's trade. Where did Jesus find Peter? What was Peter doing? Fishing. So he wasn't the best of the best, but Jesus chose him. What was Matthew doing? He was collecting taxes, right? He was collecting taxes, and he was giving to Rome a little bit, and then he was cheating people and pocketing the rest. That's why people hated tax collectors. I mean, so you look at this story all throughout the Old Testament, the New, God always used flawed people. That is great news for us today. And that's why that last week was so important. So today I want to continue talking about the scandalous birth of Jesus. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew 1. Verse 18 through 25, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. It says this, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name what? Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. May you impact us with this word today. May we be impacted by this scandalous story. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, last week was crucial for us because it reminded us of important things. This week, as we look through this narrative of the birth of Jesus, there's really four things I want to draw from it. First of all, I want you to notice with me that this is a scandalous situation. Scandalous situation. Now, I have found myself in life in many awkward situations. Anybody ever been in an awkward situation? Okay, good. I don't want to know your awkward situation because it might be really awkward, but I'll give you a few of mine that I've been in. There, there have been moments in my life that, that I've found myself in what I would call awkward 
situations. For example, we've, maybe you've done this before. Maybe you're way smarter than I am. You've never done this. But you go to someone who's just had a child, and maybe they're under that year-old mark, and you look at them, and, and they're in neutral clothing. You know what I'm talking about. It's not pink. It's not blue. And you're kind of left wondering, but you notice they have longer hair, and you say something like this, she's adorable, and they look at you and go, it's not a she. Have you ever had that moment? Awkward, right? I mean, really awkward, especially as a pastor, very awkward. Or that moment that you look to the lady and go, man, I'm so glad to see you today, and you know, you know, when are you due? I'm, I'm not due, right? I mean, if you had those moments, some of you are way smarter than me go, I would never do that. Well, I've done those things, and even as awkward as just walking to the wrong bathroom sometimes. I'm so focused, and you walk in and realize this is not the men's bathroom because they're not a urinal in here, and then immediately you walk back out. I mean, we all have awkward situations that we've gone through. Here's what I want to say. This is not an awkward situation. This is scandalous situation. In the Jewish custom, what we're about to read was scandal. It would have made the National Jewish Inquirer. I mean, this is the kind of information that was scandal to the hilt. And I say that because of this. When we have our nice, beautiful nativity sets up, and they are beautiful, and they are amazing, just remember this. This story was scandalous in the day that it came. But through scandal, God brought salvation. And I don't want us to miss that, okay? So this is a scandal situation. Look with me in verse 18. I want to read it one more time. It says, now the birth of Jesus, which means Yeshua, or or Jesus in in Hebrew is Yeshua, which is Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. Jesus Christ, the anointed one, took place this way. When his mother, Mary, had betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the situation. Mary and Joseph are betrothed. Now, that's a word we don't use anymore. Maybe many of you understand it. It took me a long time before I understood it. But let me just tell you a bit about betrothal and what it meant. Most Jewish scholars will tell you there were two steps to a Jewish marriage. The first step was the betrothal. Some will say there's three, but most of them say there's two. The betrothal. Here's what that meant. Jewish girls between the age of 12 and 14 could be betrothed. Okay? means they were waiting to be married. Now, during that betrothal period, it was typically arranged by parents. They would arrange their marriages, and they would come together. Not always, but predominantly, they arranged marriages, and they would come together, and then the groom's parents would offer a dowry for the bride. Now, I always grew up thinking that, you know, and forgive me for saying this, but I grew up thinking that, you know, what, how does that work? You know, do you show up and go, is she a two-cow girl or a three-cow girl or a five-sheep girl or a six? I mean, I, but here's what, here's what you know. A dowry wasn't about that at all. Dowry wasn't evaluating the value of a girl going, well, I think, you know, you know she's worth at least 10 bull or whatever it was. A dowry was given to help pay for the expenses of the wedding. That was the groom's contribution. And so a dowry wasn't based on the value of a girl. It was based on paying for the expense of the wedding. So a dowry was given, and as soon, listen, as soon as the bride's family accepted the dowry, it now became contractual, and it was legally binding. Here's what that means. When Joseph and Mary were betrothed, at the moment her parents accepted the dowry, his dad and his mom offered them, at that moment they were legally bound together. They were legally in our culture, married at that point, okay? This was way more than an engagement. Hey, put a ring on it, you know, may work out, may not work out, we may get married. Not. No, 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 this is way more than an engagement. This is a legal binding contract. So by all Jewish purposes, Mary and Joseph being betrothed, they were married at this point. Now, here's what would happen. During this year of betrothal, which is take a year long, what the husband would do is he would go and he would build a place for he and his wife to live. 
That could be a, a, renovate a room in his, his father's mansion, which is a beautiful parallel to John 14 when Jesus says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I mean, there's a beautiful marriage parallel between Jesus preparing a place for us and what a groom would do for his wife. And he would spend a year preparing a place for her. And at the end of that year, they would come for the second stage of the marriage, which was the ceremony. Now, unlike our wedding ceremonies, their ceremonies would last up to seven days. All the families would come in. Some of you are like, I don't know if I could stand around my family for seven days, but they were. The seven days they would come in, and they would have this. At the very end of the seven days would be the official ceremony, and then they would consummate the marriage. So you had the betrothal period, and then you had the ceremony. Here's my entire point. During this time when they're betrothed, Mary and Joseph are viewed as being legally married. They are contractually together. So here's the scandal. Verse 18, and she was found with child. Uh-oh, right? Right? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Is that not a, I mean, in our culture, like, we don't think anything about it. We, we've got TV shows about 16 and prayer. I mean, we don't think anything about that. But I'm just telling you, in that culture, back up with me, about 2,000 years, I mean, can you see this uh-oh moment that this 12 to 14-year-old girl who's been betrothed, she's now with child. This is that moment of the virgin birth. This is, she is found with child before they came together. This is the virgin birth. This occurred between the betrothal beginning and the ceremony. She's pregnant. Now listen, for Mary, this would have been extremely scandalous because they were viewed as being legally married. This meant she was considered an adulteress. Now what do they do with adulteresses in the first century? Stone them to death. Well, I don't know about that. Well, think about this. Remember when Jesus was out hanging out and the woman was caught in the act of adultery. Do you remember that story? And they brought her to Jesus, and they said, you know, what does the law tell us to do? What were they all ready to do? A woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, I know some of you are thinking, what about the man? Well, he should have been stoned too. But I'm just saying, the woman was brought, caught in the act of adultery. So some peeping Tom saw what was going on, and they brought the adulterous woman to Jesus, and they go, what does the law command us to do? Well, what does the law command? It commands her to be what? Stoned. In fact, we know from the story they all were holding stones. And so when Jesus says to you, you without sin, let you cast the first what? Stone. And then they dropped the stone and they walked away. So Mary was an adulteress who deserved to be stoned to death. Scandalous. But it was also scandalous for Joseph. Can you imagine finding out the girl you're betrothed to, that legally married to between 12 and 14, she, oh, by the way, she's pregnant? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the heartache, the shame that he would have felt? I mean, can you imagine what Joseph might have been going through? Can you imagine? Just let's think about this. What about the betrayal that he might have felt? I mean, he thought Mary was this lovely, beautiful, godly young lady who's pure, who's holy. He's the one he's dreamed about. They can't wait to marry her, and yet I find out she's pregnant. Now, let's, let's don't be really over-spiritual today. Let me just say this. If you're Joseph, are you thinking that this is a supernatural event? Are you thinking she's been with another guy? Come on. What are you thinking? Every man would assume that. I mean, every person would assume something's not right. You know, did you, did you, did you, did you, did you, did you take two tests to make sure Mary, I mean, we don't, I mean, the bottom line is this, is that she's pregnant and it's not his. Can you imagine the feelings of betrayal that he went through? How about this? Can you imagine his thinking of, what am I going to do now? Now what? I had a whole future planned for us, Mary. I'm building our house, Mary. I'm creating a home for us. And this happens? Now, painting that picture, because I want you to know this was a scandalous 
situation. They're married. She's pregnant. It's not his. That's scandalous. Which leads to the second thing I want you to notice, and that's a scandalous decision. The decision Joseph's going to make is not the decision that everybody else would have made. It's not the decision the common Jewish person would have made. Look with me in verse 19. It says this. Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, if you're Joseph, let's put that aside. If you're Joseph, what do you do? She's pregnant. You're legally married, waiting for the ceremony. We don't know how close they were to that ceremony time, but you know what? You're waiting for that moment. And she's pregnant. What do you do? You're somebody like, peace out, and you're out of there, right? So like, no, 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 we can work. I mean, so Joseph has a scandalous decision to make because no matter what, listen, no matter what Joseph makes, people are going to view him in a scandalous way. If he chooses to stay, they're going to ridicule him. If he chooses to leave, they're going to ridicule him. Now, the one thing I want you to notice about the passage is this. It says that Joseph was a just man. Did you notice that as I read that? It said Joseph was a just man. That, word, that phrase just man means he was a righteous man. Here's what that means. That he was a man who loved God and wanted to live his life to obey God. That he loved the Lord and all he cared about was living a life in obedience to God. He was a righteous man. Now we see the righteousness of Joseph. We see this just man. We see that reflected in two ways. One, we see it reflected in his character. Now, if you remember the story, what I just read there a while ago, it says here in verse 19, and his husband uh, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. Unwilling to put her to shame. What does that tell us about Joseph? Did he love Mary or was he tolerating Mary? He loved her. And the thing for Joseph is this, as you look at the text, is he could not bear to shame her or to hurt her. See, the common practice for Joseph would have been this as a Jew to publicly humiliate her and quite possibly for her to be stoned to death. But when I read the story, here's what I don't see. I don't see anger in Joseph. I don't see resentment. I don't see bitterness in Joseph. You know what I see? A guy who knows he's going to be shamed, but his ultimate concern is Mary. Do you see that? Here's a guy that has every right, every right, to publicly humiliate her and possibly have her stoned to death. And all Joseph cares about is Mary, that he was unwilling for her to be put to shame. Listen, does that speak a lot of the character of Joseph? You better believe it. But you know where else we also, his righteousness show up, reflected in his compassion. It says here that he was unwilling for her to be put to shame, and he resolved to divorce her how? Quietly, quietly. He resolved to divorce her quietly. Here's the thing. There was no public spectacle. He didn't leverage the law of the Old Testament going, I have a right to publicly disgrace you. I have a right to demand you to be stoned. He didn't leverage the law at all. All he chose to do was to quietly, kindly, and compassionately break. Now, I'm just telling you, when I was a kid growing up reading the story of Joseph, and I thought about him divorcing her. I thought, how could he do that? You know what? It's because I already knew the end of the story, right? I knew how things panned out. But if I could jump back into that time frame and, and be in real time with Joseph, here's what I think I would discover today is that Joseph was a faithful man. That Joseph loved God. 
that Joseph wanted to obey God, and he loved Mary with everything. And so he was just doing customarily, you know, divorce her was something that he still was trying to decide, what am I going to do? So I'm just going to do this quietly. Why? Because I love her. I don't want to put her to shame. I don't want to publicly disgrace her. I don't want her to die. So I'm going to do this below the radar, just kind of quietly. And now when I read the story, here's what I see. I see the faithfulness of Joseph. I see Joseph's love for Mary. So Joseph, in this scandalous situation, makes a scandalous decision. He's going to quietly divorce her, not shame her, not have her killed, but to walk away. And then here's my favorite part of the story, and it's the third thing I want you to notice is this, is I want you to notice God's divine interruption. Look with me in verse 20 through 23. It says this, but as he considered these things, in other words, he wasn't sure what he was going to do. He's still thinking about it. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, means he's a Jew, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken to the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, here's what I love. Please don't miss this. I love it when I read Scripture because here's something that's always a common thread. God interrupts history. You think about the story of Jesus coming to this world. It's all an interruption, isn't it? Was it an interruption for Joseph's life to be planning this marriage for Mary and building his home for Mary, and all of a sudden he finds out his wife is pregnant? Was that an interruption for Joseph? Come on, was that an interruption? Yeah. What about Mary? <laughs> Let's just think about that. You're Mary, you're 12 to 14, you're getting ready to marry the hunk of a guy named Joseph and he's building a home for you and you're legally married and you're waiting for the ceremony and oh, by the way, the angel appears, you go, hey, you're going to have a son and it's not just any son, it's the son of God. Was that an interruption in her life? Man, what about King Herod, who's the king of the Jews, who's sitting there and these wise men eventually show up on the scene and say, hey, we come to worship the king of the Jews. He's like, I don't have any kids. You think it was an interruption in his life? You better believe it. See, the reason I love the story is this, is it reminds me that God is a God who interrupts history. He's a God who interrupts our lives. And in this story, he interrupted Joseph's life with an angel. And this interruption brought a couple things for Joseph. Number one, it brought him a great deal of comfort. He says, do not fear to marry Mary, <laughs> right? Do not fear that. Why? Because it brought him clarity. It brought him comfort, but it brought him clarity because he told him why not to fear to marry Mary. It's because of this. It's because she, he says this. Look at me in verse uh, 20. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of what? The Holy Spirit. I mean, this brought him a great deal of clarity. Here's what I mean. It reminded Joseph that what's going on in their life, it's a work of God. That Mary being pregnant is not a coincidental thing. Joseph. She's not been unfaithful. Joseph, she's not been ungodly. This is a work of the creator God. Now, why would that be so important for, for Joseph? Because it brought him clarity. It opened his eyes and reminded that this Mary that he fell in love with, this Mary he was about to spend the rest of his life with, this Mary that he is married to awaiting the ceremony, she was faithful. She is lovely. She is holy. She is pure. But this virgin birth is an act of God. God has intervened. And it brought him clarity. It also brought him clarity because it reminded him who this child is going to be. He is the son of God. And he says that the prophecy says they will call his name 
Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? Come on, come on, come on. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Now, we look at that and go, oh, that's awesome. No, no, no. It's better than awesome. See, if you're a Jew back in that day, where was God? Well, they believed that he only was, his presence was represented in the temple and the Holy of Holies. Only where the high priest would go one time a year. They believed that the presence of God rested there. Other than that, that God would, I mean, where was God? And it's different for them now. He's not going to rest in the temple. Emmanuel, God is with us. He is present. He is walking among us. He is here and active. This was a game changer for them. And it gave Joseph clarity that the God who's the creator God, He's coming on the scene. He's not God who's in a temple. He's God in a bod, and he's come to live among us. John said this way, the word became flesh, and what? Dwelt among us. So it brought Joseph this great deal of clarity, but also clarified for Joseph what his mission was, what this baby's mission was. He says this, for he will save his people from their sins. This is not just any birth. This is not just any baby. This is the Savior of the world who's come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so for Joseph, this divine interruption gave him comfort, but it also gave him clarity. This is the work of God. This is God's doing. Nobody else is doing. And this baby, he's God with us. And this baby, he's coming to save his people from their sins. You know what that would tell Joseph? He's come to save me too. Right? I'm a Jew and I'm looking for the Messiah too. And you're telling me he's the one that I'm looking for as well. So here's the point. Is that there is not only a scandalous situation, not only is there a scandalous decision, but there is a divine interruption. And there's one more thing I want you to notice with me. And it's this. I want you to notice Joseph's faithful obedience. Look with me in verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from the sleep, now first of all, let's just be Joseph for a minute. When you woke up, what would you have thought? Come on, what would you have thought? Talk back to me. What would you have thought when you woke up? You went to sleep in the midst of a scandalous situation, considering a scandalous decision, and in the sleep, there's a divine interruption. How would you woke up from your sleep? Come on, how would you woke up? Excited? What? Weird. Yeah, like, what, what did I drink before I went to bed last night? All right. I mean, something happened. I mean, he woke up, and I love what happens here because I think sometimes we want to read Scripture and go, well, maybe Joseph sit down and contemplated what he dreamed. No, no, no. Listen to what happens here, verse 24. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did. That's in the active tense. It means immediately he did. doesn't mean he did it a year from then. It means immediately he responded. He did as the angel Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Even with the concerns and the doubt and the scandalous situation, Joseph is a picture of faithfulness. Even when it made no sense. And listen, if you're all men, all men, if you're Joseph and you're back in that season and that time, would this make any sense to you? This woman that you are married to, 12 to 14, she's pregnant. And even the dream you woke up from, would you not wake up and go, well, maybe I didn't hear that right? I mean, you, I mean, right? But Joseph here woke up and says he immediately did what the angel told him to do. Joseph was faithful even when it makes sense. When I was in my early 20s, there was a song that came out. It wasn't a worship song, but it was a Christian song by B.B. and C.C. Winan. 
And part of the chorus said this. It says, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. And can I just tell you in this story, there is no way Joseph goes, oh, I put all the dots together. I get it. I don't think Joseph got it here. But you know what Joseph did get? That he needed to trust God. And he did. Even when it didn't make sense, he trusted him. So we have a scandalous situation. We have a scandalous decision. We have a divine interruption. And then lastly, because of all that, we see Joseph's faithful obedience. Now, here's the thing I want you to walk away with today. Some of you are going, okay, how is this story in Matthew 1, how is it relevant for me? What does it matter to me? Well, here's, give me a couple of reasons. Number one, it's important because of the truth of the story. Just the truth of the story. This is a supernatural event. Jesus was born from a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Are you with me on that? Are you tracking with me on that? This was a supernatural event. Just think about that. He was born of a virgin, which is impossible, and he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, which makes no sense. But yet he was, right? And this baby that was born came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, here's the truth of the story is that is the essence and the beginning place of all Christianity. If there had been no birth, there could have been no cross and no resurrection and no salvation and no reason to be here on December the 9th, 2018. Amen? It is the foundation to Christianity. There was a virgin birth. You can't take away the virgin birth and still have Christianity. And my favorite thing about the truth of the story is this, is that through scandal, God brought salvation. Through breaking all the cultural norms, God brought us a path to salvation through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So one reason it's important is just the truth of the story. Another reason this is important is because the truth for your life. Here's what I know about everybody. We all, all of us, including this guy, we all have situations in our life. Some are awkward, like I mentioned earlier. Some are scandalous. Some be categorically just difficult. But every one of us in this room face different situations all the time. Amen? And here's what I know about situations. They all require a decision to be made, don't they? Every situation requires a decision to be made. And here's why this is important for you. All of you have situations. All of us go through situations. All of us have to make decisions. But here's the thing. We have the same heart as Joseph had. A heart that is righteous. A heart that says, I want to do what is right. I saw my men's group that meets on Monday. One of my favorite verses, and we've been talking about it for weeks, is, is Micah 6, 8, where it says, you know, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. The first thing he says is do justice, do what's right. I mean, do we have that kind of heart to do what is right? And is that heart reflected in our character? Is that heart reflected in our compassion toward people like it was Joseph? See, all of us are going to make decisions. All of us face decisions. But do we find ourselves like Joseph, having a just heart, a heart to be like him, be compassionate, show our character? And here's another reason I think this story is so important for you. is because it reminds me that God interrupts our lives. Amen? Come on. Does God interrupt your life? Yes, he does. Probably one of the greatest interruptions in my life that I can remember is when I was 18 years old. When I was in high school, and I've shown this a little bit before, but when I was in high school, I had one desire in my life, and that was to play college football. It's all I wanted to do. I didn't care about anything else. As far as, like, beyond that, I just wanted to play college football. I worked out. I lifted hard. I mean, I did everything I could do, 
and just because all I wanted to do was to play college football. I know some of you look at me and go, yeah, I can see that in you. Well, I weighed about 185 then. I blew up after football. So, so I was skinny back then. But I, all I wanted to do was football. It's all I wanted to do. I mean, I would even avoid dating relationships because it would interfere with my time in the weight room. It's all I wanted to do. And yet I felt called to ministry, and so there's a point where, okay, I had these offers to play at some Division I AA, and, and what do I do? So I went to a Christian college, Southwest Baptist University. I decided I was going to play football there. They were giving me a scholarship, and so I went there, and I was playing, and my, my football uh, college career lasted two days. I got there. Yeah, I was pretty lame. But I got there. <laughs> First day was terrible, hard. I loved every minute of it. That's what I worked for. Second day, Harder. But I was like, like a sponge, like, oh, yes. Went to bed that night. Woke up in the middle of the night. No kidding, in the middle of the night. Woke up with just tears streaming down my face. And all that desire I had to play football, all that desire I had to, put, to, to work out and to get better, and all the stuff I'd done in that moment, I can't explain it. I'm, here I am, many, many years later, I can't explain it. It's like God took it all away from me. That was a moment that God interrupted my life. I was on a path to college football. I was on a path to be great in my own mind. And God interrupted my life and says, no, no, this is not where we're going, bro. Now, what I later found out was this. I feel like God was showing me football had become the Lord of my life instead of him, and he took it away from me. I'm just telling you, I look at that time in my life as one of the greatest interruptions in my life. In the moment, it hurt. Oh, man, it hurt. When you go home and your dad's standing at the door, and my dad was 6'4 and 270, so he's a big old man. When he stands at the door and he's got his arms crossed like this and goes, son, why'd you come home? I mean, there's a point of you going, I don't know, I don't know. God told me to. And so, I mean, just an awkward moment. But you know what? Listen, here's the thing about that. God interrupted my life, and I can look back at that interruption, and I had a choice to make, to obey or to stay. And I chose obedience as hard as it was. And I can tell you from that point how God has unfolded my life since then. Six months later, I met Sonia, the rest of the city. I mean, just how God moved in my life through an interruption. Here's my point. He wants to interrupt your life too, if he hasn't already done that. And the question is, when he interrupts our lives, is what he gets our obedience or our uncertainty? Does he get our obedience or our rebellion. See, the beauty of this story is not only this reminder that we all have situations and decisions and we need to make right decisions. We need to be a just man or just woman, but also to remind us that God is still in the business of interrupting our lives. And when he does, how will we respond? With obedience or rebellion? See, here's my prayer, because there's some of you in the room today, and quite honestly, you would say with all certainty, you're not sure that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You would say that. Here's what I would say to you. I think God wants to interrupt your life today. I think he wants to interrupt your life. I think this moment is an interruption for you because he wants to remind you of how much he loves you. He wants you to look at the story we've talked about today and go, it is crazy to think that a God who's a creator God would go to the lengths he went through to bring salvation to the world. It is crazy to think that God would orchestrate this plan to send his only son through a virgin woman to bring him into the world so he was fully God and fully man and to live a sinless life, never sinning, and to put him on a cross. And it's crazy to think that the lengths that God would go to to show me his love for me. But he did. And today I believe God wants that to be an interruption in your life. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, he wants to interrupt your life and remind you how much he loves you and the links he would go to to demonstrate that love. And all he wants you to know is this, that he wants to be in a relationship 
with you. And all it requires is just receiving that. I think he wants to interrupt your life to bring you to salvation today. And if you've never trusted Christ your Savior, just simple as acknowledging that you're a sinner and as simple as saying, I know Jesus, you died for me, and I accept that into my life. And if you'll do that, your life will never be the same again. It will be an interruption that changes the trajectory of your life. And some of you maybe need to make that today. Then there's some of you like me in the room today. You're believers. Can I say this? I think God wants to interrupt our lives too. I think God wants to interrupt our lives and remind us how much he loves us. I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget about the love of God. Do you, do you feel that way sometimes? That sometimes you take the love of God for granted? That sometimes when you think, when you read your Bible, you look at that and you go, I, 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 I don't always take the seriousness and the depth of how much God loves me. And I think some of us need to wake up to that today. I think he wants to interrupt our lives with how much he does love us. I think he wants to interrupt our lives and gain, regain our focus and the priorities of our life. Can I just tell you, at this time of the season, most of us have pretty jacked up priorities. You got like 72 Christmas parties to go to. You got Christmas gifts to buy. You had Black Friday shopping. You got, you know, Red Wednesday or whatever. I mean, you got all this stuff going on. And I feel like God wants to interrupt our lives. Go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's put the noise to the side. Let's put the chaos to the periphery. And let's just get our priorities right. This season's about the light has come. Don't forget that. I think some of us need that interruption. I think some of us need the interruption of uh, being reminded of where we're at with our faithfulness. When God speaks to us, how faithful are we? When God nudges us to do something, how faithful are we? And some of us need to be woke up to that. And I think, last of all, we need to be uh, um, interrupted today, if you're a believer, maybe to renew your passion and your love for Christ. Maybe some of you, if you were just honest, if your life was uh, an odometer, empty and full, you would say, I'm kind of pushing below E right now. I'm struggling. And I believe God wants to interrupt your life, and he wants to fill that up for you today. He wants to remind you of the magnitude of his love, and he wants to renew your passion. So if you're a follower of Jesus, and any of those areas, you're just struggling today. Any of those areas you feel like, I, I, I know I need a life interrupted today, this altar is going to be open for you. I'm going to ask you in a moment to come and just pray and say, God, here I am. Maybe I'm struggling with my passion. God, here I am. Maybe I'm struggling with relationships. God, here I am. Maybe I'm just struggling with really taking serious the love that you have for me and living it out. God, here I am. I want my life interrupted. So believers, would you make that decision? If you don't know Christ today, I'm going to be standing right here. We're going to have some men and their wives standing to the sides. They would love to pray with you or tell you what it means to know Christ. But don't leave here today with a life that's not been interrupted. Because if you let him interrupt your life, it will change the trajectory of your life. I don't know about you, but I'm always looking for God to change something in my life, to draw me closer to him. Amen? So let's stand up. Let's all stand up as we pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you, just take a moment, just before I pray, I'm going to ask you to take a moment and just consider the story we just read. Just consider how God interrupted Joseph's life and changed it completely. And would you consider that maybe God wants to interrupt you today? Interrupt you to lead you to salvation as a non-believer? Or interrupt your life as a believer to bring you to surrender? Just take a moment think about that and pray about that, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer.
Father, I know as we look at the Christmas story, oftentimes we're looking for a new twist, a new something we didn't know about. But God, I thank you today, it's not new. It's always been and always will be a story that's scandalous, of a scandalous situation, of a story of a guy who made a scandalous decision. But God, let us not forget it is a story where you divinely interrupted. And God, I just pray today, I pray that you would interrupt our lives. Wherever we find ourselves today, that you would interrupt us. That for those that don't know you, you would interrupt them right now and remind them of how much you love them. And they would just surrender their life to you. Just say, yes, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I confess my sins, forgive me, and and come into my life. I, I, I just pray that there's that mentality for those who don't know you today. But God, I also pray for those who are believers today. Would you interrupt our lives? I know we think we've got it all going good and we've got everything together, but we don't. We need you today. In fact, Lord, if we're believers, we need you more desperately today than we even did yesterday. And we'll need you more tomorrow than we do today. And I just pray that you would interrupt our lives today. That maybe we're struggling with passion. Maybe we're struggling with how much you love us. Maybe we're just struggling in life. And I pray you would interrupt us today. Call us to a greater level of faithfulness. Call us to a greater level of surrender today. So God, I desperately pray that you would truly interrupt our lives today. May this not just be a service, but may this be a moment where you interrupt us that never, that always changes the trajectory of our life, that we will never forget. So God, would you work in us? And for those who need to come pray, Lord, would you prompt them and give them the courage to do that? For those who need to trust you as your Savior, would you give them the courage to do that? God, we need you in this hour. And we just ask you to show up in a powerful, powerful way as we think about your love and your grace and your story of bringing salvation through scandal. God, we love you. And it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen, amen. I'm going to ask some of our men and ladies if they could come to the front, if they would, in case somebody needs to pray or just counsel. But if you're a follower of Jesus, listen to me, please hear me. Maybe you just want to come today and get on your knees and go, God, just interrupt my life. That's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? Come on, is that a dangerous prayer? Because you're saying, God, you have your way with me. Ah! But I dare you, I dare you to pray that prayer. And if you don't know Christ today, when he interrupts your life and you come to faith in him, I'll be right here and love to talk to you. Don't let this moment slip by you as we continue to worship.